Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. If you are a leader who wants to develop strong community on your team or in your organization, then this podcast is going to be helpful for you. Joining me in studio this week to listen to and discuss this interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Jonathan Bethay and Thomas Tubby. So to start off, I want to hear from both of you. Have you ever been involved in some sort of organizational brand or other type of online community? Yes, I've been in a few. Um, I really love music, country music specifically, and a band I really like based out of Austin, Texas is Midland, and they have their own little fan club page that they got on Facebook, and I follow them, and they do a good job of, like, it's their way to connect with their fans, so it's a cool way they market themselves, and you're involved with the music. And then other things, I like guitars, so I follow some guitar companies on Instagram, and they do a good job of keeping us updated on new guitars coming out and that sort of thing, so those are some that I've been a part of. So back to the band thing, you kind of have become a bit of a, a groupie. That, groupie may be a, uh, it may not be as positive of a term. When I think groupie, it's not necessarily the most positive thing, but you travel around, and you've seen them in multiple places and multiple times, haven't you? Oh, yeah, I, wear, I wear groupie as a badge of honor, for sure. I, I, love, <laughs> I love the band, man. I actually traveled to Midland, Texas to hear them play mm. uh, Midland Band in Midland, Texas. Wow. So. That's yeah. awesome. Jonathan, cool. how about fun. you? When I heard this question, there was one specific company that came to mind before any other, of course, and that was GoRuck. Okay. Uh, GoRuck's been a pretty big part of my life, I guess you could say to some extent, for the past few years. Back in 2013, I was in college in ROTC, and my ROTC instructor was a cadre for GoRuck. So I, I learned about it, started buying some of their equipment. They build rucksacks and whatnot. Uh, but they also do events where they do rucking, a lot of rucking and a lot of military style training. And so I started doing some of the events and eventually got into their uh, online group, which mm. you have to have completed an event to get into the online community. Uh, but it really keeps people fired up and keeps the conversation going, information flowing just within uh, the group members, there's over 24,000 members wow. on, online. Wow. So when you say rucking, uh, I imagine that a lot of people know what you mean. But for those who don't, when you say rucking, what are you talking about? For sure. Yeah, so rucking is basically walking with weight on your back. Um, hiking is like... What fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hiking is basically rucking in the mountains. Um, most go-ruck events take place in downtown areas. Okay. So uh, actually just last weekend, I completed a go-ruck event in Chattanooga. Um, we did a little over 21 miles. Uh, we did a lot of push-ups and other other activities with our, our rucksacks. We each had a 30-pound steel plate in our ruck uh, in, in addition to water and everything else we carried. Wow. 
uh, we had a team weight and we carried a you know canteen big uh big jug of water and other things that we found along the way so um yeah it's just it's a very very military oriented style of training and it it uh it's not not for everyone, but it, it definitely draws a crowd. So even if you're not into rucking, I would highly recommend Chattanooga, Tennessee. I have no <laughs> connections there other than the <laughs> fact that we were all talking beforehand, and it is a really cool city to visit. So if you ever have a chance, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, our guest today is a leading community strategist, speaker, author, and podcaster. He founded his own consulting company and has served as director of community at multiple organizations. His clients include Huawei, Microsoft, Intel, Google, Sony Mobile, Deutsche Bank, and others. He's the author of the critically acclaimed The Art of Community, a columnist for Forbes and OpenSource.com, and founder of the Community Leadership Summit and Open Collaboration Conferences. He's also written a new book entitled People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business, Brand, and Teams, which is being released on November 12th. For your listening pleasure and existential fulfillment, here is Jono Bacon. Jono, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So we've just read through your impressive resume, but tell us a little bit about what you're doing in your business these days and a little bit about what your book is all about. Yeah. So, um, I'm having a ton of fun is, is my goal. And, uh, the reason for that is that we're seeing this incredible, um, growth and recognition of the value of having a really collaborative engagement relationship with your users or your customers. So we're seeing, you know, companies who are identifying that there's, there's this legion of, of people out there who are using their products or their services, and you can get incredible value by building a real relationship with them. So the newsletter is just not cutting it anymore. Um, and that uh, the, the better the relationship that you have with your customers and your users, you build better retention, you can generate additional value, whether it's technology, whether it's uh, support, whether it's advocacy. And, um, and and I've been passionate about this for a number of years because back in when I started out and I first discovered open source and technology, there was already this kind of community that was starting to form around people building technology together. So with my business, you know, I work with companies to help them to uh, a, identify the value proposition of building communities around their business, B, help them to put together a strategy around how they do that, and C, how to integrate it into their organization so they can train their teams and build mentoring and, and, and build growth and all those different pieces. And the book, my book, People Powered, essentially is a book that explains how to do that because, um, you know, I when I would start with many, uh, you know, new engagements with clients, I have another book that came out a number of years ago called The Art of Community, and it's very technical in nature. And they'd say they'd bought the book, but, you know, it's a it's a pretty in-depth book that I think is going to lose a lot of people, particularly executives who want to kind of spin up strategically and get going. Sure. So I wanted to write a book that really is a business book, but you know how some business books, the you know, they really don't have a lot of content in there. They just have three or four principles that they yeah. reiterate with examples over and over again. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have a business book that, that really zones in on the strategic definition and the value of this work, um, but really shows someone how to go from um, identifying that value proposition to really building strategy and then integrating it effectively in. So that's the goal of People Powered. So you've used the term blueprint in regard to your book and how your book helps to lay out how to create communities. I know you don't want to give right. everything away in this podcast, but could you give us a little bit of a glimpse <laughs> of what that blueprint looks like? Sure. Yeah. And I'm more than happy to share it. Um, 
I've kind of over the years, I've been doing this for about 20 years now. And like anyone who's been doing anything for, for a long time, you've, you've got some successes and you've got some mistakes that you've made. And, um, communities are challenging because it's this weird cocktail of the psychology of how we think and how we are incentivized and how we work. It's the workflow that you put in place for how people can actually do things together. Um, and then it's other elements such as the technology that you use and the, the relationships that you build. So it's this weird mixture of psychology and kind of organizational design. And over the years, I've uh, I've developed this kind of method, this blueprint in which in, in how you do this. And it's broken into a few different pieces. So the first thing I think you always have to start with is what is the value that you want to produce? So if you, you know, for people who are listening to this and you're thinking, OK, well, you know, I'd love to build a community of people who are going to provide help to my to my customers or I'd like to build a community of people who run local user groups based around my technology, or I'd like just a, a group of customers talking to each other. The first thing is, what is the value for that for that user or that customer? What are they going to get out of your community? And you have to start with the value for them. A lot of companies will start with the value for their own business, and that will invariably result in a fairly boring community. So first of all, think about like why is someone going to take time away from their family, from their PlayStation, you know, from the pub to come and spend time in your community? And then the second thing I always like to do is to break that then down into a set of personas. So there are many different types of community participation. There's people who build technology and write code. There are people who build apps for platforms. There are people who provide support and guidance and help to other users. There are people who do advocacy and marketing and promotion. There are people who translate um, <clears throat> documentation and tools into other languages. There's all kinds of different ways of participating. And there's basically three models that I've identified around, you know, people who are consumers of a community, people who go the extra mile and are, are champions, and then people who, who collaborate together. So you, I think the first thing you do is you define who are, who are my audiences, who are my target personas. And then what you do is you break this down into a set of annual goals, which I call big rocks. Because the big challenge here is if you don't have a plan and that plan has been collaboratively worked on together by your team, you're going to be at a significant disadvantage, right? Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is put together a plan which says, okay, we've identified the value we want to build. We've identified our audience. These are the things we're going to do in the next year to try and accomplish that. And it's really important that it's not just one person. Like when I work with companies, I don't just put together a plan by myself. I put together a straw man of that. And then we get the engineering team, the marketing team, the the leadership team, the people on the ground who'd be doing the work. They need to see their reflection in that and they need to have their skin in the game. Otherwise, it's just not going to succeed. And then, you know, from that point, we then break it down into all of the individual tactical pieces of work that we're going to that we're going to work on to deliver it. And, you know, in the book, I, I walk through this this framework that I've kind of designed over the years, which you know, takes you from, okay, how do we go from that persona who we want to kind of curry favor with and, and to, to be involved in our community all the way through onboarding them, having them generate some value, and then the process of how they start out as casual members of a community, then they become regulars, and then they become kind of really core participants and how you kind of go through that. So it sounds like this takes a lot of planning and a good bit of work. Are organizations ever lucky enough to where communities begin to develop organically? And if so, how do you make the most of that? It's that's a great that's a great question. Um, yeah, there there are some organizations where communities kind of uh, organically spring up around them. Um, um, I'll, I'll give you an organi I'll give you an example actually. Just very recently, there's a. There's a technology network called Twit, and they've been basically doing podcasts for a number of years. Okay. Um, and it's founded by this guy called Leo Laporte, who uh, 
is is pretty well known in the tech journalism world. And they've got a, you know they've got a studio up in Petaluma, and they have a ton of shows about security and you know uh, Android and Apple and all kinds of different things. And I actually went on Twitter two or three weeks ago to do an interview with Leo, uh, and I was saying to them like. I, I think you should set up a community wrapped around your network because he was asking about this. So what they did is they went and set up a um, a community forum, which is a place that's divided into different areas for different shows and things like that. And they basically switched it on and they encouraged their, their, their listeners to come and join. And within literally a matter of days, they've got some fantastic discussion and great feedback from the community and and their hosts are engaging with their community and, and, and they, they built a community very, very quickly because they already had an audience. We've also seen this a lot in technology where people build products or services and they already have a user base. And then what they do is they convert them into a community as well. So the, the key thing here is you've got to be intentional about it because some people have communities naturally form around them. A community maybe will set up their own forum or they'll set up their own Slack group or whatever. But if you're intentional about it in, in how you design it and how you focus on it, it will build a much better community experience. The thing you want to avoid is just a poor quality kind of thrown together community experience because people will get frustrated and move on. Yeah, I think when people see the end product, it's pretty clear that a community can be valuable. But how about those leaders who are hearing something like this and it sounds like a whole lot of work? What is the value proposition or how can you convincingly uh, explain to leaders the value that a community can bring despite yeah. all of the, the work that it takes up front to make it happen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is kind of a, a singular broad summary of the value and then it breaks into into various value streams, I guess you could say. The, the, the primary value here is around commitment and retention. And this is just a psychological element of how human beings think. If you have a great experience, whether it's at a restaurant, whether it's with somebody who comes and cleans your driveway, whether it's with uh, a product that you use, if you have a great experience, you're more likely to A, continue using that product or that service and B, recommend other people use it. So there's a, a major benefit here is that if you build a, a, a powerful, productive community experience, first of all, you're going to get that retention and that, uh, and that kind of referral benefit. But the other element here is that it can generate significant value for your organization where your community members play a role. So you can think of your community as this 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 broad collection of minds and experience and time and you for most companies where the you know they're the customers and and that's the relationship you know you produce the product and they're the customers the only way in typically a lot of companies will engage with their customers is either through one-way communication such as newsletters and email or support queries that come in when people have problems so what a community can do for you is you can actually enable your community to do uh, to generate a lot of value like i say one of the common elements of this is where you have a community forum where your community members can come and and uh, and, and and provide support and provide answers to other members uh, other members of your community so that produces a much lower um, support burden on your team you can enable your community members to play a role in providing feedback into your products uh, testing features before they go live uh, you can have your community generate advocacy and marketing where people can go out there and bang the drum about what you're doing. You know, uh, Salesforce is a good example of a, a, you know, a huge community of people who are extremely passionate about Salesforce and they go out there and they provide support and they do advocacy. They run local events. They organize events all over the world. So you can actually convert 
your, commu- your, your users into generating value for your organization. That obviously lowers the cost while always building that retention and that engagement. So it sounds like if you do it right, you actually can create deeper commitment by having a community because you were talking about pitching some products or having people test them out, doing some beta testing. And when someone's selected for that, it kind of leads them to feel like they're a more valuable member of the community, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you, you know, sometimes I think we forget that we are intrinsically social animals, a human beings. So when you you know, when you build an actual relationship with someone, whether it's a member of your family, whether it's a friend, uh, you know, whether it's the person who runs the coffee shop down the road that you live in, you're more likely to um, engage with that person um, in some form, whether it's consume their products or spend time with them. So communities are essentially systematizing the development of those kinds of relationships. Um, I just think it's frankly unsatisfying when the only relationship that you've got between you know, myself, for example, and a company that I might use a product of is through their email form or through a support network. What I want the company to do is I want them to provide me with a product, but understand what success looks like for me and and to be able to enable that success. And some companies will do this through video tutorials and documentation and other areas. But there are some organizations where, you know, when you go into their community and you, and you participate there, um, this huge group of people can generate so much insight and value in how to use that that it's that it's pretty phenomenal. One example of this is a company called Fractal Audio Systems. They build a a product called an AxeFX, which is a guitar processor. I love playing guitar, um, and their community is filled with fans of the AxeFX. And this is a pretty complicated device. You know, it models hundreds of guitar amps, um, and people have all kinds of questions about you know how to tune different parts of these. Uh, you know, the different features within it, whether it's compressor mm-hmm. pedals or whether it's, you know, which amps and how they drive at different volumes and which speaker cabinets you use with them. There's massive amounts of complexity. There's no way that Fractal Audio Systems could ever serve that level of, of, of query. They could never build a manual that would deliver that kind of insight. It would be too big. They could release books and books and books and people would never be able to pick that kind of stuff up. Their community is, you know, essentially fills that gap. And the community is super passionate because the fractal audio systems recognizes the work that the community does. I mentioned this in people powered and what they do as well, which I think is genius is they're always providing regular updates for the, for the X effect. So it's not like you buy a product and then, you know, the next time they update the software, you got to go and buy a brand new product. They release those regular updates to their community first. So listeners, if you're doing it right, you're going to create more committed people, but also people who may even enrich your own organization because they're so passionate about what they're doing and how you're helping them to do that. Now, Jono, one thing I would say is that the leader may catch the vision, but it can be a different thing to actually convince people within the organization Yes, to, 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 to begin bending over backwards and working harder to try to create this community when they don't see it. Any recommendations for leaders? Uh, for example, a few weeks ago on the podcast, we had someone talking about the difference between formal authority and moral authority, where with formal authority, you have the position and people have to respond to you. But with moral authority, you've gained their respect and they are willing to work for you and to go the direction you want to lead because they respect you. Any recommendations right. based on what you've seen and the people you've worked with on how leaders can really work to encourage people to, to develop community within their organizations? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'll start this by saying what is the pattern I wouldn't recommend people who are listening to this okay. uh, approach. So what a lot of companies do is they will think, okay, we've identified the value of a community. We think this can be very valuable and this can give us a competitive advantage over our over our competitors. Um, so what they'll do is they'll go out and they'll hire a community manager. That person will come in and they'll do the things that community managers tend to do. They'll write blog posts, they'll do social media, They'll um, participate in a forum or a channel that, that's been set up to where the community lives. Um, and the rest of the organization will think, okay, we, we have the community manager. Sarah will take care of it or John will take care of it or Marcel will take care of it. Um, we don't need to necessarily engage with the community. We have a community manager who does that. That's the worst possible scenario because what you're essentially doing is creating an ambassador to your community. And what your community wants is they want engagement directly with your organization. They don't want to go through somebody. The community manager should be someone who's an enabler of other people. So to do this, what you need is you need your, your leadership team. If you identify that community is valuable to the business is to say our community is part of what we do. We don't just build products. What we do is we build a culture and an environment that helps our customers to succeed. And that's what our community is. Um, one of my, um, old clients, Hacker One, their CEO, Martin Mikos, who's one of the most well-respected, uh, CEOs in tech. He said, when he joined Hacker One, I expect everybody in this organization to play a role in our community, not just the people who are on the community team. I want our developers engaged, marketing people engaged, salespeople engaged. And then what that does is that basically sets the expectation in the organization. But then what you need to do is you need to provide um, plenty of support and guidance to the people on the ground doing the work, right? So essentially the first piece, the executive piece, is the permission. Then what you need to do is you need, you know, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty from the people on the ground coming into your community. They're going to be worried about, okay, first of all, what do we do? How do we use this community? What should we be talking about? What should we be doing? What happens if I put a foot wrong and accidentally share something I shouldn't have shared? Am I going to get fired? There's going to be all those kind of like fear yeah. elements to this. And the way in which you, you, you broach this is going to be through some training and through some guidance and setting the expectation again, this coming from the leadership and with middle management, it's okay to put a foot wrong. You're going to make mistakes, okay? But all we want you to do is want you to build a habit you know, it takes 66 days scientifically for people to build a habit. We want you to go in there every day for 15 minutes. And what you want to do is you want to earn a browser tab for someone. You want that community to be open all of the time. And in the same way, you check your email every five minutes. Uh, and in some cases, you check your Facebook every five minutes. Sure. You want to do the same thing with your community. It's got to be a fundamental part of, of how you participate. And the other thing as well is making sure that you celebrate and reward great participation, right? So for example, I'm a big fan of a platform called Discourse. And Discourse, Discourse is like a forum, and it's got the ability to, to track how much pi people participate in it. So one of the things I always recommend to clients is when you see your, you know, your employees actively participating, you want to be rewarding them. You want to be highlighting them in your organization, not just giving them material rewards, such as a bonus, mm -hmm. but celebrating them as real leaders in your organization and also doing the same thing for your community members. So the leader is convinced that this is a good thing and he or she has convinced their organization now, my next question is, are there any pitfalls that people should be aware of when they're working to develop communities for their organization? Yeah, there's a few. I mean, there's a few things I would definitely recommend people are aware of, and, and I cover these in People Powered. Um, the first one is, if you don't have a plan, 
you're at a significant potential disadvantage uh, uh, and, and a failure. Um, there are some people who, you know, they think, okay, well, we'll kind of try a community, we'll throw a forum up um, or we'll put together a Slack channel. First of all, don't use Slack as a community. It's not designed as a community uh, platform for various reasons. But let's say you set up a forum. Um, uh, if you basically allow, if you just set it up and you think, oh, well, let's see if anybody shows up. What's going to happen is people are going to go in there and they're not going to have a great experience. So you need to be intentional, I think, in the experience that that, that people are going to have when they go there. So, for example, in the, the model that I put in the book, which is, you know, when you identify your audience, let's say that's going to be people providing support. The first thing you want to do is get them onboarded and where they can provide a first piece of value. So, for example, you know, they come to your company website, they see that there's a community there because there's a banner on there, they can click on it, it explains the benefits of joining the community and what they can get out of it. So they decide to join, they come in, um, and and it's uh, there's an easy way in which you can, you can display a, a current list of questions, and they can go in there and provide an answer. Or they can go and consume other kinds of information on there as well. So the first thing I think is being intentional. The second potential uh, pitfall here is that you don't track um, the work that you're doing. So um, this is one of the most important things that I suggest to, to, to clients is every community is radically different. So what you want to do is you want to check how your community is performing and then adjust your strategy on a week-to-week basis. So for example, you may see in your community forum that you've got a lot, a growing number of page views, for example. And what that tells me is great. People are finding your community and they're reading it and that's great. But then you may have a lower number of people signing up for it. And what that tells me is people need more of a reason to sign up and participate because they're kind of window shopping, but they don't have a reason to actually contribute and participate. So, the only way in which you can identify those patterns is to look at the data on a regular basis. So I always recommend once a week you have a, a meeting with you know whoever's involved in this project to review a small set of metrics, no more than five. Don't have a dashboard filled with 50 because you'll just get confused. And then once a quarter, you sit down with your, a broader team and say, okay, well, what can we do to make this you know more effective and more efficient? Do we need to improve the rewards that we provide to members? Do we need to increase the exposure of our community? Are we not Are we not telling enough people about it? So always review that data. If you don't review that data, then you're essentially just waiting for an explosive moment of growth. Hmm. And that won't come unless you, unless you are regularly reviewing it. So, Jono, are there any final things about community building and, and developing purposeful communities that you would like to leave the listeners with today? I think the most important thing that I would recommend is, you know, today we've talked um, about some of the the process elements of how you go about building this. The first thing I would I would say, suggest to listeners is just take a look around at the at the the products, the services, the organizations, and think through what are the ones the ones that you admire, that you respect, that you have more of a affinity towards. Why is that? And I think one of the things that you'll find is a lot of that is because of the relationship that has been developed between yourself and that organization. Mm. And also look at where the growth is happening, right? If you look at, if you look at the, for example, the platforms that are experiencing, you know, high levels of growth and recognition, they've built ecosystems, you know, GitHub has, has become the place where people build open source technology. YouTube has become the place where people put their videos. Mm -hmm. Salesforce has become the CRM. All of these 
companies have built large communities and it's given them the competitive advantage. The, the companies that often don't succeed as much haven't done that. And I would look at that and first of all say, is this something that we can apply to our, you know, to your business? Because if you've got a product that people are interested in, then you can have a community. Um, and then just evaluate, you know, is this something we have the cycles to actually put in place? Because it's not as simple as just putting up a forum or, or registering some social media networks. You do have to spend a bit of time in it. But the good news is that, frankly, it can be as long as a piece of string. I've worked with some clients where they have someone half time working on it. Um, and then there's other clients where they've got a team of 10 people working mm -hmm. on this. So, you know, that's that's what I would suggest. Well, Jono, thank you so much for sharing your expertise on the podcast today. We finished up with a few final questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? Yep, let's do it. All righty. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? I think for me, it is this too shall pass. Um, you know, I forget where where this was. Uh, this is this is a saying that goes back many many years, and it basically says, um, in the worst possible times that you're going to experience as a leader, it's going to pass. Mm. It's going to get easier, but also the best times that you have are going to pass as well. <laughs> so always focus on the fact that, you know, we go through waves, we go through cycles of good things and bad things and always put them in perspective that, um, that they're just part of the experience that, you know, the, there are rarely completely nuclear problems and there are rarely, um, you know, uh, wonderful things happen that last forever. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is, I think a leader is involved, um, but not pushy. So I don't think you can lead from afar. I think you need to be involved and understand the team that you're working with and the projects that you want to succeed. Um, a leader is empathetic. Uh, I think the very best leaders are mindful of the people they work with and their experience and their background um, and their insecurities and can adapt their leadership to that effectively. And I think thirdly, a leader is a listener. Um, it's easy as your career grows and as you... Um, you feel like you have more and more influence to do all of the talking. And I think the very best leaders that I have often don't say anything. <laughs> they're just sat in meetings and they're, they're listening and then they, they share their insight at the right time. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I think they should be asking themselves, have I earned my position today mm -hmm. as a leader? Uh, I think you need to show up every day. This is actually something that a, a friend of mine, Jason Warner, who uh, runs technology at GitHub, uh, said in a podcast that I did with him recently. Um, you know, when you walk into work that day, have you earned your position as a leader? Because it's not something like you get nominated as a leader and that's it, it lasts forever. You need to maintain that. And I think you need to ask that question every day. Am I doing the right thing for the, for the organization, for the team that I work with? What book would you recommend to leaders? I'm sure you've had people suggest this <laughs> previously. I think The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People okay. by um, Stephen Covey is, to me, is such a fantastic book. I think it provides seven very pragmatic principles that um, that we all should be mindful of. And it's a, it's a very practical and an inspiring book. I would definitely recommend that. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Read every day. Uh, it sounds simple, but I just think the, the greatest leaders, and I'm not suggesting I'm one of the greatest leaders, but the greatest leaders who I work with are always infusing themselves with themselves with new ideas um, and new information, but also, also be mindful of where that information comes from. Be mindful of you know who wrote that book and what their agenda is, but 
read and learn and explore. And finally, our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I think why not. Some of the greatest people who I've worked with basically say, I'm not going to take the current perceived wisdom. You know, I'm going to do better. I'm going to push myself further. Uh, I used to work for this guy called Peter Diamandis, who founded an organization called XPRIZE. Um, and the first X Prize was a $10 million competition hmm. that challenged teams to build a reusable commercial spacecraft that could go up into space twice within two weeks. And, you know, back then it was NASA who were building all of the spacecraft. There was no SpaceX or Virgin Galactic at this point. In fact, the winning prize uh, was bought by uh, Virgin Galactic. Peter Diamandis throughout his life has said, why on earth should we settle with what we've got? We can always do better. And that's my passion about about building collaboration and communities. I think that we shouldn't settle for the current relationships that we have with with our customers. I think we can do so much more. Well, Jono, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. If you would, tell everyone where they can go to learn more about you, your work, and your new book, People Powered. Yeah, the best probably the best place is to go to my website, which is Jono Bacon, J-O-N-O Bacon, as in the delicious meat, <laughs> dot com. And you can find out about the book at uh, johnabacon.com slash peoplepowered. And it's available on all good booksellers and websites. And it's going to be out on the 12th of November. All right, Jono, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. 
Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.